the Vox Markets podcast with Justin Waite. Nothing in this podcast is intended as investment advice and the people in this podcast may hold positions in the stocks they talk about. Do not buy anything based solely on a tip or recommendation. Please do your own research. Welcome to the podcast on Tuesday, the 30th of March, 2021. On the podcast today, Simon Potter, CEO of Bahamas Petroleum Company, provides a comprehensive update of operations and upcoming milestones. Also on the podcast... Dan Betts, CEO of Hummingbird Resources, talks through some of the highlights of their mineral resource estimate update for the Jan Falila mine in Mali. Plus, Glenn Goodman, former ITV News business correspondent and now the author of The Crypto Trader, uh, refuses to talk about his birthday, his age, and we argue about that for most of the podcast. And then we talk about his trades over the last seven days in Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. At the end of the podcast, I have two lists for you. The top five most followed companies on Vox Markets in the last 24 hours. And the top five most read RNSs too. You can check out both these lists at voxmarkets.co.uk. In fact, top 10 versions of these lists. Uh, also, see lots of content, articles, videos. Uh, there's one there, a new group video there on Blue Star. Uh, Union Jack Oil article, Plant Healthcare Investor Presentation. And I always like to check out uh, COVID-19 Index. Biggest riser today is Tiziana Life Sciences, by the looks. Uh, biggest faller, Omega Diagnostics down. In fact, Tiziana's up 19% to 118.5. And Omega's the biggest faller there, down 5.78% to 815 Check that out at voxmarkets.co.uk. Vox Markets is an online community of investors that runs a free mobile and desktop platform that allows you to track news and updates about any UK-listed company. Offering RNS push notifications, detailed charts, pricing data, and much more. Find out more at voxmarkets.co.uk forward slash app. And joining me on the podcast right now is Simon Potter, Chief Executive Officer of Bahamas Petroleum Company, BPC. is ticker there. Simon, thanks for joining me. Good morning. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. And you've had a busy couple of months since we last spoke, so it's good to get an update on what you've been doing. Before we get into that, Simon, for people maybe not familiar, uh, give us a brief summary for Bahamas because you've got lots going on there. Okay, well, I guess as the name suggests, I mean, hitherto we've uh, had exploration acreage uh, just located in the Bahamas, but in the middle of uh, 2020, in the middle of lockdown, we uh, merged with Columbus, which then gave us production, near-term production, appraisal uh, and development options uh, in Trinidad uh, and in Suriname. Uh, over and above that, we also, during lockdown, uh, took exploration acreage uh, in Uruguay. So, uh, uh, a much more diversified portfolio than just the Bahamas uh, in the region. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I know you've, like I said, a lot of upcoming activities in Trinidad and Suriname to talk about, but I suspect, you know, people and shareholders want to hear about the Perseverance well you recently finished in the Bahamas. Can you tell us what happened there then? Yeah, sure. Well, uh, the first thing, I guess, is to say that uh, we drilled it safely uh, and in compliance with our uh, EIA and our uh, EMP. We drilled from sort of late December through into uh, February, targeting uh, Albion and Aptian uh, reservoirs. The, uh, we drilled to 3,900 metres, uh, and the uh, Albion uh, looks like a deeper water facies than we were really hoping, but uh, in terms of the Aptian uh, reservoir, uh, we confirmed the trap, the structure, obviously. Um, we confirmed the seal, the reservoir, uh, and the residual sort of uh, uncertainties uh, 
or around charge uh, and migration. We did encounter hydrocarbons from the logs, which was uh, calibrated, which, which was uh, sort of uh, confirmed, corroborated uh, by gas chromatograph. Um, and a couple of important conclusions uh, in terms of the uh, geothermal gradient, so how, how hot or cool the basin is. It's always been thought of as a cool basin. Mm. We were able to confirm temperatures such that we believe the source rock is well and truly in the oil window. Uh, and indeed, uh, in drilling uh, the uh, the well itself, we confirmed that uh, notwithstanding previous wells that have taken over 200 days to drill and had uh, huge losses whilst drilling, uh, we confirmed that we could drill it safely and commercially uh, with modern technologies uh, and the well plan that we had. Yeah, yeah. And, and in your recent or most recent RNS, you advise that the well cost uh, more than planned. Can you explain what happened there then? Yeah, sure. There were really uh, two factors. One, not surprisingly, uh, we were drilling with a huge headwind called COVID. Uh, and, uh, you know, what that meant for us was that uh, we had a rigorous set of protocols uh, where we kept people uh, quarantined in hotels. It meant additional uh, chartered flights and helicopters uh, in order to, uh, you know, keep uh, COVID from the rig. And what it meant was that we managed to uh, to catch, if that's the right word, to use uh, 14 positive uh, COVID individuals trying to get onto the rig. So uh, a very positive outcome there. The thing that we yeah. underestimated, I guess, was uh, people that would transit back and forth to the rig. They couldn't do that because of the time that it took to transit. So we had to keep an awful lot of equipment and people on the installation that we would have usually moved uh, backwards and forwards. Uh, the other aspect was uh, sidetracking. Unfortunately, we, uh, a piece of equipment was dropped down the hole, a piece of high tensile uh, steel, which meant that we had to sidetrack around that uh, in order to, to drill the well. So in combination, those two elements sort of added about $10 million to the original uh, $35 million uh, projected cost. But I guess, uh, you know, we persevered, we drilled the well. Um, and just a reminder, you know, the original cost estimates uh, from uh, uh, earlier in my tenure here, we thought it was going to cost $100 million. So we did it for less than half half that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, you know, given the well results, as you say, it was not commercial. Are you still interested in the, in the Bahamas now or is that, is that over with? Oh, yes. Yeah. I mean, uh, we've spent $150 million here. Uh, and so we're looking to monetize that uh, with the modern information that we've collected, the well results in conjunction with the seismic. Um, so looking to farm that out um, and renew the license in the middle of the year. Um, that renewal is subject to a relinquishment. But um, just a reminder for shareholders, you know, it's a huge area. You know, even after relinquishment, it'll still be 6,000 square kilometers. Uh, and of course, there's lots of anecdotes about how long it took uh, to find the oil in the North Sea or Alaska uh, and how long it takes to find the biggest uh, the biggest discovery in those basins. So, um, yeah, we're hugely optimistic. I think uh, certainly with the new geochemical uh, data uh, and placing the Jurassic source in the oil window, we think that uh, certainly the new play type uh, is uh, is with us. Jurassic plastics deeper into the uh, into the section. So yeah, full of optimism around new closures, new structures that uh, we haven't drilled. So yeah, lots of optimism in renewing that license. 
Yeah, marvellous stuff. Okay, let's move to Trinidad then. Uh, you have drilling plans soon, the saffron too well. So what should shareholders watch out for from this well, Simon? Yeah, this, this is quite exciting. I mean, it's in direct contrast to uh, the Perseverance well, uh, saffron's onshore. Um, it's a twin of uh, a well drilled by Columbus roughly a year ago now. Uh, so uh, we've utilized the, the same uh, well pad to reduce costs, but equally it gives us a, a high sort of certainty as to the geology that we're going to uh, encounter. We've uh, targeted the well slightly down dip at a thicker reservoir uh, section, and it'll take 30 days to drill starting in sort of mid-May uh, and cost us around $3 million. Uh, and of course, in contrast, again to Perseverance, uh, that three million dollars includes uh, a completion, so we can actually produce oil uh, out of this well. So we're hoping for between 200 and 300 uh, barrels a day, which uh, you know may sound modest, but uh, our current production sits uh, at about 450 to 500 barrels a day. Uh, so this would add 50 percent. Uh, to our current production base. And, you know, the important thing is, is uh, being on shore with a short cycle time, uh, we can monetize that very quickly. And uh, we're, we're thinking that uh, this could generate uh, nearly $2 million of uh, incremental cash uh, during the course of this year. In the event of success, uh, we could then follow on with uh, a broader development of saffron, which could be uh, between five and nine uh, wells during the course of uh, 2021. That's all dependent on uh, rigs, uh, approvals, can we uh, clear the pads, that, that kind of thing. And if we manage to uh, get those, that kind of uh, level of wells drilled, then it could be uh, over a thousand uh, barrels a day to us uh, by the end of the year, which again, you know, by the end of the year could be uh, on an annualized basis yielding eight to $12 million. And of course, that's a portent to a full field development, which could be up to 30 wells. Our reservoir man, uh, modeling indicates up to 4,000 barrels a day, which would yield $25 million of cash uh, per year. So yeah, so exciting uh, times uh, in Trinidad, another well coming along within the next uh, month or two. Uh, and in direct contrast to the Bahamas, onshore, cheaper, and straight into production. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and, uh, and apart from Saffron 2, what can you tell us about the rest of your business there in Trinidad? Then, well, we've got a number of uh, production optimization projects. So mm -hmm. uh, we're using our uh, two owned rigs. Uh, we're up to the kind of uh, workover rate that... Uh, um, Columbus were achieving a couple of years ago, 180 a year. We're trying to focus more on uh, uh, interventions that uh, allow us to add perforations to, to sweep unswept oil rather than uh, fixing stuff. We're also looking to kind of catch up with other operators in Trinidad with an automation project that we're doing with Weatherford that essentially uh, more, uh, automates the, uh, the production systems, the pumps, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and then uh, over and above that, we're continuing with the CO2 injection project. Uh, and then really saffron lookalikes. You know, how many other saffrons are there out there? How many pockets of sort of nine to 10 million barrels uh, are there for us to sweep up uh, in the southwest peninsula of Trinidad? So we've reprocessed the 3D and uh, are working hard on uh, highlighting uh, um, potential prospects that we can drill uh, later in the year. Yeah, absolutely. And um, anything else going on for the rest of the portfolio in you know, Suriname and Uruguay? 
Uh, well, in Suriname, uh, we're held up a bit by COVID. We're looking to manage the project in Suriname out of Trinidad, but uh, being able to move our people over there at the moment is difficult with the various restrictions applying to COVID. But that being said, we've uh, identified the uh, potential well site. Uh, we've uh, scoped out the owners. Uh, we've got uh, uh, rig contracts are out. So we're ready to uh, to drill there. And, and that's relatively simple. That's uh, uh, down to a thousand meters. It's four hundred thousand uh, dollars. It's extended well test. Uh, we'll drill into uh, what we think is an uns- pocket of unswept oil, uh, produce that, and sell it to the uh, to the local refinery. Um, Uruguay. That's that's very much like uh, uh, the Bahamas. High impact offshore exploration. Uh, we did scoping analysis uh, before we took the license and. Uh, We've been encouraged by work being done by ANCAP, the uh, the regulator, that confirms the sort of level of prospectivity uh, within the license area. We we thought uh, around a billion barrels was appropriate, and they themselves have identified the, the Lentea uh, prospect, uh, and they've identified 1.4 billion uh, barrels of recoverable oil there. So yeah, so lots of uh, work going on in uh, other parts of the portfolio. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it seems like, you know, you have a full state of activity for the rest of 2021, notwithstanding the outcome of Perseverance 1. Uh, an obvious question then, you know, following on here is, you know, are you funded for it all? Well, clearly, we've got a whole bunch of uses, let's say, in the sense that uh, we've we still got bills to pay with regard to uh, cleaning up uh, the uh, Perseverance 1 uh, drilling project. Uh, then we've got the Saffron 2 and as I sort of highlighted a whole number of other options. So we've got, you know, between 25 and 40 million dollars of, uh, of uses. So, you know, what are the, what are the sources? You know, a, a reminder though that uh, we have these uh, interests at 100%. So in terms of the pace and the extent to which we carry them out, that's entirely within our uh, our own uh, decisions. So that's why there's a range uh, on that uh, uses figure. But in terms of sources, well, of course, you know, given that we've got production, we actually receive cash. Um, and that's over and above the cash that we have at the moment. As at the start of uh, um, March, we had $13 million in the bank. We had a $14 million undrawn uh, convertible. Uh, and then, as I've highlighted, we're looking to farm out uh, the um, Bahamas uh, prospect monetize that interest. We've got uh, a, uh, a project that we're looking at whereby we can forward sell the oil in a prepay project, a prepay kind of contract. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, you know, there's always other aspects uh, of the portfolio that has been used before where, you know, other companies have uh, a bit of you know, we've been able to drill for equity, shall we say. We uh, we drill and we provide equity to the, the suppliers of these things. So, you know, certainly a rich portfolio of uses, but uh, quite a range of, of sources. And we'll cut our cloth uh, accordingly. Yeah. Let's say that not many, you know, small companies have managed to put together a funding strategy to pull off activities that uh, you have, you know, 100% interest in, in a frontier exploration well. But there's, you know, there's been some negative commentary of certain aspects. Any thoughts on that, Simon? Well, sure. I guess um, we've always, you know, tried to articulate our strategy with regard to funding, and we've always sought to have a range of uh, facilities that gave us a whole series of options. But the most important part of it was with regard to the timing of those uh, those options. What we always wanted was, you know, not to be paying for a facility uh, until we needed it. 
And of course, we didn't need most of these facilities until uh, drilling commenced. Uh, and uh, it would be at that time that we would enact these facilities. Well, of course, you know, we get through to Christmas uh, and we encounter somewhat the perfect storm. We have a rig arriving, uh, Christmas has intervened, uh, and we have uncertainty. Uh, we were taken uh, through the courts uh, where a group of individuals sought to uh, um, prevent us uh, from drilling with an injunction. And so this, this uncertainty uh, meant that uh, a number of the, uh, the funding options that we put together actually then became not available. And of course, at that time, you do what you can do. And so uh, you know, access to uh, hedge fund uh, capital is, is not cheap, uh, but they are able to provide it quickly. Uh, and so in that context, uh, we did what we had to do. Um, and indeed, we got the well drilled. Yeah, absolutely. Marvellous stuff. Well, Simon, let's have three reasons. If uh, someone's liking the sound of what you're doing, the activities across the portfolio, but are not yet following the story, give them the three quick reasons why they should hit that follow button and add you to their watch list, please. Well, I think the first thing would be news flow. I mean, hopefully I've been able to highlight a full uh, slate of activity for 2021, but commencing within the next month or two with uh, with Saffron. But then uh, after that, there's the potential to do uh, the Saffron development, um, look Saffron lookalikes, and then the extended well test. So, you know, a full slate, and it's in the immediate short term. The second thing uh, would be the share price. Since uh, drilling perseverance, the share price has fallen quite considerably. And indeed, it's fully underpinned now by the existing production activities that we have in Trinidad. Mm. So uh, the third thing would be upside. Uh, over and above that share price that's underpinned by production, everything is, is, is gravy, as it were. Everything is uh, upside. So saffron, Bahamas, Uruguay, and the Suriname outcomes uh, are additive to where that current share price is. So uh, strong news flow, uh, a modest share price at the moment, but then strong upside uh, to be priced in. Excellent stuff, Simon. It's good to chat to you, and uh, hopefully we'll be catching up in the not-too-distant future. Thanks very much. Thank you. The Vox Markets Podcast with Justin Waits. And joining me on the podcast right now is Daniel Betts, CEO of Hummingbird Resources, HUM. Sticker there. Dan, thanks for joining me. Hi, Justin. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, and you've uh, published a mineral resource estimate update on your Yana Falila uh, mine in Mali. We'll discuss the detail of that in a bit. Um, there's a lot in there. Hopefully you can uh, you know, bring out and highlight the most significant points from that. Before we do, Dan, it's not just about uh, Mali. Of course, you've got quite a few things going on. Just summarise the business for people not familiar, if you could. So Hummingbird Resources is a um, gold mining company with a gold mine at Yanfalila in Mali and a development project in Guinea called Carusa and um, an advanced exploration development project in Liberia called Doobie that's being progressed with our joint venture partner, Pasfino. So we have um, three diverse assets and we're strongly a growth stock in the gold sector. Yeah, and uh, I was looking at this um, updated mineral resource estimate for Yana Falida and I thought, go, you've done a lot of work and there's a lot of findings, a lot of data there. And uh, so, you know, for people maybe, you know, struggling to get through all that data and, and trying to figure out what's the most important bit there, can you give us an overview of the key highlights and the findings, Dan? Yeah, sure. So, in 2020 was the first season we really applied our mind to exploration seriously because we'd been dealing with um, commissioning the plant and the operational startup of the mine. So 2020 was important for us to show that the 
mining permit had potential to expand the mineral resources because the mineral resources uh, ultimately provide the reserves which go into the mine plan and provide your mine life. And one of the biggest criticisms of Yamfalila is a short mine life. So um, the 2020 exploration program was aimed to prove there were more resources, but also to improve the confidence in our existing resources. And to break that down, because as you say, it's a complicated announcement with an awful lot of data. I think that's just showing how much work goes into these things, but also the fact that Yamfalila has a number of deposits and they all need to be updated. So the summary is the last mineral resource um, update in um, 2019. Mm. And since that date, we have depleted the resource by 258,000 ounces. And during 2020, we discovered 255,000 ounces. So almost exactly net um, even in terms of recovering ounces that we've mined. And not only that, only a portion of that $5 million budget was spent on um, exploration drilling to discover new resources. The rest of the budget was spent on uh, infill drilling and remodeling and reworking our existing database. So the second bit to the um, announcement is that some of the old resources that were non-code compliant, they were non-JORC compliant, when we inherited them from Goldfields, they were an in-house Goldfields estimation. Those have been remodeled and either upgraded to JORC where the confidence exists to do that or excluded from the resource. And that has resulted in some changes to the resource model. So I think if you look on um, slide three of the announcement, it says non-code geological model minus 114,000 ounces and then 43,000 ounces added in mm. to do with density measurements and other technical um, changes to the modeling. So net-net, I think you've got a great result here. You've got clear exploration success that showcases a path to much more success open deposits, new discoveries, and an increased exploration budget. And you've got a much cleaner, more robust, and um, more straightforward mineral resource uh, inventory going forward. Yeah, yeah. So, and so, so you said that one of the criticisms was the life of mine, potential life of mine. So uh, how, does that, how does that change this now? Well, I mean, this is a resource update as opposed to a, a reserve update. There's a lot more work that goes into turning those resources into reserves, obviously. You know, yeah. you have to do all your pit designs and geotechnical work and economic studies. But what you've shown is there is more gold in the known deposits, which we anticipate to be mineable anyway. So if you can, if you can add effectively two years' worth of gold for one year's worth of mining on a small budget, and this year we're doubling the budget, and this year's budget is focused more on exploration to add ounces, and we have better targets because we've done work on them. I think it's a it's an emerging, quite exciting story, to be honest. We have no debt, and every year, or virtually no debt, and every year of um, mine life that you add is completely tangible MPV and cash flow straight onto the bottom line of the company. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, so, and so looking forward now for the rest of the year, maybe even beyond that, just just, just map out what you'll be doing then, Dan. Well, in terms of exploration, I mean, we've already, we didn't really stop. I mean, we've been hard at it. You just need to have a cutoff point. And I mean, the two main target areas from this program were to 
prove up and extend the Kamana East underground potential. Mm -hmm. And we are looking to extend that to the north during 2021. And also the San Amali East deposit has probably been the biggest surprise that has grown significantly. And that has shown new zones and really quite exciting grades and intersections. So we are drilling that aggressively at the moment. Yeah. And our first um, results are starting to come through, which we will be releasing as and when they come through and, and uh, you know, they're organized and we can release them to the market. So I think there's a, a much more aggressive um, exploration program ongoing, which will mean a lot more news flow on that side of things. And hopefully that will translate into a longer mine life and more confidence in the ongoing um, prospects at Yam Falila. And yeah. in turn, the the ongoing valuation. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, before I, I, you know, I let you go. I'll give you three reasons. Um, in fact, this may be one of them. Um, I always ask your opinion here on, on the on the gold price. Can you fathom what's going on there? Because I can't. I I, I I'd expect it to be up with Bitcoin, really. But well, um, I, I, oh, I I mean, I guess that's for investors to make their own mind up on. I have to say, I'm very confused. I um, I read somewhere there's been twenty trillion dollars of uh, of liquidity pumped into the global markets during covid and you know bitcoin's at sixty thousand dollars and gold's gold's off 15 percent from its highs i i just i can't get it justin mm. it must be must be money chasing yield or something and hopefully it will come back when we get a big print on inflation but um yeah i, I, I mean i don't know so that that's it's not for me to say but, but it's a uh, contrarian really, play. That's a, it's, a, it's a good time to invest in gold miners, isn't it? When the, when, you know, when the gold price is down, because you know, you know, once it starts rallying, it's too late. Then you know, the, the, the miners are, are leveraged with that anyway, and they move ahead well, of it, don't they? Really, you know. And these things can move pretty quickly. I mean, yeah. you look at other markets and other commodities, and some of the runs that have been going on. I mean, they've been spectacular. But uh, I, 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 I agree with that. I think gold miners have been absolutely hammered. I mean, even sort of barracks off about. 40 percent isn't it yeah yeah, yeah. so uh yeah i mean it's pretty pretty staggering sell-off in the gold space and um yeah I, it, as i said it's not for me to say but if you're a believer in gold and um, there must be good news ahead mustn't there Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, okay. Let's get into the three reasons then. If uh, someone's listening, likes the sound of what you're doing, Dan, progress you're making, but are not yet following the story, give them three quick reasons why they should hit that follow button on your page on on Vox Markets and add Hummingbird resources to their watch list, please. Well, I think the three reasons um, to stress would be at Yamfalila, um, we are looking to improve our operational performance steadily throughout the year. I mean, at the start of the year, we we guided to, towards a, a stronger second half of the year, and we're still on track to um, improve our operational performance as the year goes on. So that should um, unwind some value in, in the operational performance. The exploration story at Yam Falila is gathering pace, and we're investing heavily in that. And I think that we can look forward to, you know, lots of news flow on that side of it. And I think probably the the biggest uh, piece is the, the the growth prospects for Hummingbird outside of Yamfalila, the development project in Guinea and our um, joint venture prospects in, in Liberia. Both, I think, have tremendous value that is not, to my mind, recognized in the Hummingbird share price at all at the moment. So we really want to get marketing those and start showcasing that value. Excellent stuff. Dan, good to chat to you and uh, hopefully we'll be catching up in the not-too-distant future. Thanks very much.
Thanks very much, Justin. The Vox Markets Podcast with Justin Waits. And joining me on the podcast right now is Glenn Goodman. He's the crypto trader. And uh, Glenn, how old are you? I, I don't know. Aged. No, young. Somewhere in the middle of old and I'm young. I'm always weary, weary, weary. Not weary, I'm weary as well. But I'm always, <sighs> you know, weary of people who don't give their age. Blokes. Bit worrisome. Yeah, we've had this entire like. You look like young for your age. Like, Don't worry like we're about doing it. Doing an old episode here because we've literally had this exact conversation in a previous episode. Yeah, we, we are. We are doing an old episode. Yeah, yes, yes, we are doing an old episode. We're reminding people of how weary, weary <laughs> people should be of other people who don't give their age. What's the problem? What are you trying to give it up? For me, that's a, a level of transparency. There, it's an issue. Tell me your age. What's the problem? Why are you why are you blocking this? Because I because I hate I hate you know. Right, the fact that you're blocking this means it means is you're not transparent. You're not honest on this level. You won't be honest on anything else either. So you know it goes to the heart. Of honesty, I see people on Twitter all the time. All the abuse I get on Twitter is from people who don't have their real name, don't have the real picture. And I thought, do you know what? The fact that you're not transparent on those levels means I can't trust you on other levels either. It's interesting because that's the Piers Morgan theory that you've just come out with there. Piers Morgan. It's not Piers Morgan's theory at all. Piers Morgan found that Meghan Markle had uh, had told a number, said a number of things that just blatantly weren't true in that interview she did with Oprah Winfrey. They were kind of small, small untruths that she may or may not have done on purpose. She may not have. Said them on purpose. Anyway, hang, hang on, I mean, listen now. The sub peers, yeah, but sub peers, Morgan. It's all about that. Said. You didn't believe her about anything. So, I mean, I, I have some sympathy with that view, actually. You know, if she's been found to say some things that aren't true, then maybe he's right to assume that everything she says isn't true. His mistake was well, on that level, of course. On, on, even, hey, listen, well, hold on. When, when you were doing it that, that publicly, that she wasn't even being true about the um, the her saying that she had. Um, mental health issues that she was feeling suicidal so he, he was a kind of saying i even doubt her on that and that's where that's where he got in massive trouble with itv and they wanted hey, why, him to why apologize are you back? Yeah, yeah, but hang on you're so obsessed with the royals why well, are we dragging this back to a royal interview yeah. all i'm saying is right. at what level does a, a lie become acceptable or a, a, a mistruth or a, you know a block or even economic when she's on when it's fair enough to like when she's know, on that level of you publicity tell us everything about yourself no when, 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 you know, when she when audited published uh, results of Listen your, to me. Um, i don't need to do that why do i need to do that for that's, that's, that's a, I don't need to do that. When you're doing a public interview and you lie in a public interview like she did, if yeah. she did do it, I don't know, that's what Piers Morgan said. I, I have no idea. I'm not getting into that bit. But if you, if you are going to be... She if may have made some mistakes. Ah, but when it's that public, you know, the world is watching, you know, you'd think, you know, if you're an honest person, you'd be honest there because someone's going to dig it up and find out, you know? So at okay, what level? Okay, so then, well, how old are you? How old are you? Because there's something else after this. We haven't even got past the first point yet. You see, this is the thing, you see. If I start just, like, giving in to you and just, like, you know, answering... I can't move it on. I can't move it on to the next point. no relevance that, that, whatsoever to this, why I'm doing the interview. This wasn't the point. This wasn't the point. I wanted to move on from something else. Okay, let's move on. You're 50, aren't you? No, I'm bloody not. You I'm are 50. Not. I'll tell you that much. Are you older? Well, you're, 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 you're older than 50. You're older than 50. Oh, are, are you above 45? 
I'm not answering any more yes or answers. I said. I said I'm below fifty. I'm not. I'm not going any further. Oh, you're, bu- you're above forty. You know that. Huh? And you went to bed at three o'clock in the morning. This one trying to get on to. You went to bed at three o'clock in the morning, Ben. You're too old for that. I don't know what kind of job <laughs> is you're that doing. All of this is about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you you, you messed. You messed the, the entire thing up. You could have gone. I'm forty-five, and I would have moved on then. But now we've gone into Piers Morgan's theory, and, and, and but it's not theory. Just if you're a liar, you're a liar. Let's be honest. And I, I, I never get any nasty tweets or trolls from anyone on Twitter who's got their name and face on there. But I, and I'm not. I'm not saying. Everyone who doesn't use their face or name is a troll, but I'm saying they are, they are the people who are trolls do not use their real name and face. And that means they can hide behind it. So, so what I'm saying, what are you hiding behind you? Anyway, moving on, right? What I'm saying, Glenn, <laughs> I'm is... I'm between 40 and 50, yes. Right, but, well, you know, 40, I'm a, I'm a, 48, 48, uh, 48 yeah. 49. Right, so, no, so you... I'm not, you, I'm much, I'm much you I'm are going to bed at 3 o'clock am, in... Hang on, you're going to bed... Listen, this is unlistenable. You're going to bed at 3 in the morning... Yeah. Now, what kind of job? No, you, you... I don't usually, but I did go to bed at three in the morning last night. Yeah. So when you when you uh, emailed me to say, "Can I do the podcast at an earlier time?" I was not awake to receive that email. Well, yeah. the early time is generally when everyone else is up and, and done. You know, a couple of hours work. It's ten o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like I'm asking at seven in the morning. No, uh, listen, fair enough. Uh, really. yeah, so, it was ten o'clock. All right. Let's move on here. Am I? Uh, is this related to trading? Uh, it was actually, but not not that I was staying up all night staring at the markets because that's not my style. Not my style. What were you staring uh, at then? At three in the morning. I was, res- I was doing research and I was finding that the market. It looked like the crypto markets were shortly going to break out. Not all of them necessarily, but some of them. Some of those cryptos looked like something exciting was about to happen. Um, so I was sort of. I was looking at a bunch of different cryptos and trying to decide uh, which were the best ones to go for, to set orders for. So I set um, buy orders in the market, which would trigger at a slightly higher price than the current market prices. And then I went to sleep at three o'clock. And when I woke up at 10, uh, just now, not just now, uh, but when I woke up at 10, a short time ago, um, some of those buy orders had triggered. So I'm now the proud owner of a, a bunch of different cryptos that I didn't own before. How many? Well, did you jump out of Bitcoin, or did you get back in? What happened there? I am currently. I mean, well, Bitcoin, as we speak, has actually just broken out of a trading range, and is looking a hell of a lot more positive than it was when we were talking about it last week. What a difference a week makes, Justin. Hmm. So, um, but actually, I decided to offload Bitcoin and put money into these various other cryptos instead because some of them just have more momentum and well it was just a simple financial calculation i just reckoned i could make more money by putting the same money in uh, some of these other cryptos than i was in bitcoin so that's what i've done and they're doing quite well what are you in uh zrx a bnb etc bat what, do, what, what is this? Whoa, 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 hang on, whoa, hang on. What, what, whoa, 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 whoa. Those, those are the new ones. You may as well just say numbers. I don't know what that means. That's like, you know, that's like somebody saying GSK for GlaxoSmithKline. It's not really, because GSK is now rebranded GSK. So, um, <laughs> so what, can you give names or what? Oh, well, what, do you want to discuss each of them individually? 
No, what are the names of them? I, I, I don't. Know, I, may, I may have heard of that. I, I don't. I don't know the tickers of these uh, cryptos really. So uh, I, I know obviously the, the the main guys, the main ladies. What are they? Is it crypto? Is it female or male? I don't know. I know BTC and ETH and all that, but uh, the rest of them, I don't know. Okay. Uh, right. Well, first of all, uh, ZRX is zero X, uh, which is a crypto that's actually been around for quite a while. I I met the boss of zero oh well not the boss but uh, one of the founders of zero it was founded in 2016 and it is uh, it's another ethereum decentralized exchange protocol supporting both fungible and non-fungible tokens it's techie stuff kind of like ethereum itself in in that sense um bnb is the exchange binance's own uh coin uh which is used for transacting or some people use it for transacting on the platform for buying and selling things you get a discount on trading fees when you use bnb to pay instead of dollars or any other currency uh etc is ethereum classic which is a spin-off from ethereum it span off some years ago uh the idea was it would have certain improvements over the original ethereum uh it hasn't taken off in a major way but the price is now looking quite decent again so maybe there's a renewal of interest there which has got what got me interested as well and so on and so on Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I don't want to go on any further because it's. Uh, I think it's getting a bit boring, isn't it? Just, yeah, but so, so when you when you when you do these, I mean, do you have you know uh, upside limits? Uh, do you have percentage gains you're hoping to achieve? I'm working on a new strategy at the moment, which is which I've, I suppose I've been kind of gravitating towards for a couple of years now. A sort of a mixture of swing trading and traditional trend following i've always been a trend follower right i'm somebody who buys when a trend has started a price trend and then i own it for until the price trend ends and sometimes that can be years depending on you know what kind of trend we're talking about if it was something like amazon i might be a holder for years and years as it just goes up and up and up and doesn't have any major drawdowns for quite a long time um the swing bit is something I've been getting more into in recent years, which is not exactly spotting the tops and the bottoms, but it's looking at those patterns that I know you like to look at as well sometimes, the triangles and, you know, the the, pattern, the patterns that are formed by support and resistance levels on a chart, uh, which allow you to identify when a change of direction might be about to happen and a breakout might occur. So I'm trying to combine those two strategies so that I basically buy the breakouts, I buy the swing at the, near the beginning of a trend, and then I hold for a while, and after a certain amount of growth, basically I look for sort of parabolic growth, a sort of a climax of growth, and then I will sell maybe half of my holding to lock in some profits, uh, and then I will allow the rest of the position to swing wildly around which allows it the room to possibly correct massively and then go up even more massively you know because if you want to catch those big trends you sometimes have to allow for massive corrections but that's very hard to do if you're trading with your entire position because nobody wants to lose all the profit they've just made so by selling half or even a third along the way, it kind of gives you the peace of mind that allows you to allow the rest of your position to keep moving around, to keep jiggling about uh, wildly. Do you see? Yes. (laughs) 
<laughs> Good. So you're it's, a swing uh, trader. It's sort of a mixture of swing and trend because it just psychologically it's more comfortable. That's the main reason. It's not necessarily a more profitable strategy than pure trend following. But pure trend following, as I discovered over many years of doing it, is just damn hard to do as a human being because you go through such massive gains and and um, losses. So, you know, you can make 100% profit in a year, say, and then the following year, if you're a long-term trend follower, you can lose 30%. I mean, it's a painful process to lose a lot of money over the course of an entire year. That's a year of misery, even if the, the longer term makes up for it and you make loads of money in the longer term. It's just, it's just not a way that I or most people would want to live their lives. It's, it's too miserable. I see, 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 so that's six in total there, and and uh, and, and, yeah, but, and so and so. What I'm saying is, uh, well, I've got a bunch of other open or- orders. Sorry, I just had a sip of water. Um, and, I've uh, still got another five or six open orders that might trigger at any point, and then I'd be in like eleven cryptos potentially, which is quite a lot. Is, so any one of these trades, right? Obviously, you, you, I don't know. You discuss you, you, you know, how much you put into it or whatever. But um, do they have the potential to you know make you a decent amount of money, or just 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 enough? To, is it enough to make you sort of, for, for example, a yearly wage in one go, or is it a more weekly wage in one go? I mean, there's the potential to make a yearly wage in one go because a lot of these cryptos, in fact, a lot of cryptos full stop, have gone up by 10 times or more just in the past few months. 10 times. You know, they're moving far faster than nearly everything in the stock market. Uh, and there is the potential for them still to go further because the trend is still upwards. They, You know, there's no sign of it changing at the moment. Uh, despite our fears about Bitcoin last week, which turned out to be at least temporarily unfounded, uh, the the trend for cryptos generally is still very much an upward one. Yeah. So it makes sense to, you know, just because something's already gone up 10 times doesn't mean it can't go up another 10 times over, what, you know, which would make, well, 100 times in total. But that's the kind of thing we saw in 2017 with some regularity. So we can't rule it out this time. Yeah, but um, would you think uh, Bitcoin's got like ten times again? No, Bitcoin no, because it's already far too massive. It's already worth more than a trillion dollars. So massive. Bitcoin, Bitcoin can't go up another ten times without. It's running again, though, isn't the it? Entire world. I mean, well, I mean, Bitcoin could go up. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I shouldn't have said no. That definitely can't happen. Bitcoin could go up another ten times, but you have to understand that if it did that would be a major world impacting event that would be like this coin is now the most important currency you know it would it would have massive Asset. global economic implications it's not a currency is it well, it would be one if. Um, if no, it but mean, it's an asset, times. isn't it? Is, it? is it an asset rather than a currency? Because people, not, people at like the you... moment, it's an asset. Yeah, but, but the if, point is, if it were to go up but if it go, ten it, times, it, that would imply that it has probably less of an asset. Le, less, no, less of a currency, surely, because 
people wouldn't be trading it as a currency because you, you'd be it's too expensive to use the currency, isn't it? It's, it's, it, it appreciates too quickly. Like I say, you've got a chance here. Like that burger now that was first bought was Bitcoin. It's worth how much now compared to they paid yeah. one Bitcoin for it? Like, oh, that, that, that pizza, that pizza was bought early pizza, on. Yeah. Um, uh, so actually, that you raise an interesting point, which which actually neatly segues into a piece of news from this week, which is that Tesla announced that they're not. You know that Tesla has got. Um, oh, hold on, let's see. When was it announced? Yeah, yeah, it was during this past week. We didn't Tesla mention. We didn't mention that, that, um, Tesla. You can buy. You can buy Bitcoin now, can't you? Yeah, exactly. That's we didn't mention that on last week's podcast, no, because it hadn't happened yet. So yeah, Tesla has announced that you can now buy Teslas. Uh, using Bitcoin, which is all well and good, and it makes it sound like Bitcoin is a proper currency. But here's the thing: when um, a an intrepid young reporter looked into it, he you know he sort of looked into or tried to buy a Tesla um, using Bitcoin. What he found was it ain't that simple because according to the company's Bitcoin payment terms and conditions, Bitcoin transactions must be completed within a certain window of time or else the price in BTC expires and the buyer must ask for a new price. A Tesla representative said you have about 30 minutes to make a payment. So basically you're told, you know, you ask, how much does this Tesla cost? Oh, it costs so and so number of bitcoins. Oh, okay, thank you very much. Uh, here is so and so number of bitcoins. You say to them, thirty-two minutes later, and they say, oh no, that price has expired. I'm afraid the price has changed. So it's like living in a world of hyperinflation, where every time yeah. you go to the shop, the price is different from what it was last time. That's rubbish, isn't it? Really, that's that's a rubbish situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, it, what are you saying? It's just a novelty. What was the, what's the deal? Basically, yeah. And also, wasn't the returns the same? If you returned the car, there was also another snag there. Apparently, if you returned it, they could choose to pay you. If you paid in Bitcoin, they could choose to give you back in Bitcoin or not. Yes, that's right. Hold on, there was there was something about that, wasn't there? Uh, so, so I, I'd say I'd say basically it's a novelty because if you, if you're serious, you're not going to buy something in Bitcoin because, like I say, you could be paying. Twice as that Bitcoin can be worth a lot more than the car in a year's time if the trend is, is such as it has been. So uh, you're not going to do that. And again, it could be you know from Tesla's point of view, they hold a bit of Bitcoin as well, don't they? So if they um, if the, if the Bitcoin suddenly went down by you know halved overnight, then people who just bought that that car would be laughing. So, hey, I just bought you know the car for like uh, twenty thousand dollars when it was for fifty thousand dollars last week. <laughs> Actually, I like the I like the last bit of um, the intrepid young reporter's article as well, where he says he was asked uh, he asked the Tesla representative whether there had been any interest from Bitcoiners since Elon Musk tweeted that you could buy Teslas using Bitcoin. They'd had a week by that point to buy their Tesla. He said, "Not quite sure if anything sold yet in Bitcoin," <laughs> which I guess means probably not. Probably nobody has bought their Tesla using Bitcoin yet. But I'm sure somebody will, just for, you know, some billionaire just for the novelty value like they have with those NFTs we were talking about last week. But yeah, it's novelty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, but uh, It's not proper money, is it, really? Not really. It's not, say, what I say, it's not it's a currency. Bitcoin could be. It has the potential, as I've always said, to be proper money. But it's, it's got, it's got be, it, Yeah, it's going to become a bit more boring. You know, it's got to flatten out and not trade around too much. It's got to be stable for a long time. And that could take a lot of years, couldn't yeah, it? Let's be yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you, you know... Because yeah. it's nowhere near flattening out yet. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, it's going to be stable for a while. And... Um, 
Yeah, so yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it's an asset. It's another currency. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a, and I love it as an asset. I love, I love you, Bitcoin, as an asset, but only as an when, asset. When you, when you, when you, um, when you do your trading and all that stuff, do you do year to year or month to month? You know, sort of uh, accounts to see how you've done, or, or just do you rely on your uh, just looking at your trading accounts? I'm a bit lax, to be honest. I do it kind of as and when I need to. You know, when I have to fill in my tax return, that kind of thing. Um, because I don't have any clients, because I just trade for myself, I don't, you know, I don't have any obligation to kind of work things out sensibly in that way. You know, how much do I earn per month and that kind of thing? Um, it is good practice to do that, actually, for traders. And a lot of legendary traders would be shocked that I that I am lax on that score. It's a bit crap of me, I have to admit. Because, well, you, you know, you, keeping you, good track of how you're doing is obviously, it obviously helps you to identify flaws in your trading. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not doing that. So, so I'm miss, probably missing some flaws. I need to get my, do my knitting, don't I? Mm, yeah, Stick yeah. my knitting. Well, you, to be honest, if you're automating stuff, why do you need to step to three in the morning? Because I hadn't decided. I see. Which I, I, I think you've automate yet. I hadn't decided which orders to place. And I, so you I were up till three in the morning working that out. Just, you, because things were changing in the market, you, you, and I wanted to watch you, you, to see what you, you, what patterns were forming, so that then I could decide where you, to put my buy orders uh, yeah. in the market. I didn't really need to stay up till three in the morning. I chose to because because I had that luxury, um, uh, you know, because I work for myself. But. Um, Strictly speaking, I, I didn't need to. And and if I had a full-time job, I definitely wouldn't have done that. Yeah. Do, um, I think you need to be a bit more organised, Glenn, to be honest. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you, you, you sound like uh, you, you're a, a last-minute crazy loon who's just, you know, working on impulse and caffeine. In, uh, fact, in, fact, um, like, in fact, like many crypto traders, you know, bleary-eyed in the middle of the night because the market doesn't shut. <laughs> Just, uh, I can't miss a tick here. Bitcoin's going to the moon. More coffee. No, they invented a monster drink or some kind of you know alcohol-filled can of drink, sort of caffeine-filled. Well, it paid off though. I made I made good profits. How much? You know, I don't talk numbers. I mean, let's just say I made fifteen pounds. Uh, I don't know enough to go on holiday. Say. To where? To Wales. Yeah, <laughs> I've gone all the way. Well, oh, I don't know. I, yeah, I've I've made good profits since last night, so it was worth it. It was worth staying up because I probably wouldn't have got into a couple of those cryptos had I not stayed up to watch watch what was happening in advance. Are you in your pajamas? I mean, now have you actually got out of bed and have washed and stuff, or you just no? I, I yeah, I've done that. I done you that. haven't, have you? I have. You've, I have. My wife helped. She, she made me breakfast. She helped. What, she give you a bed bath or something? <laughs> <laughs> That's how I imagine. Come on, Glenn, let's get the sponge down there. Come on, I know you don't like it, but come on. <laughs> got, to get, got to get yourself nice and clean for Justin. Yes, come on, just, I know it's on a podcast, but let's, let's start off with the, the right attitude. You know, let's just cleanse ourselves a little bit. She's been dirty trading all night, Glenn. Well, that's what you call it. Looking at your screen all night. What does your wife do when you when you're up at three in the morning, dirty trading? Well, she's asleep. Does she um, feel cheated on because you're up there watching sharing screen and dirty trading? <laughs> oh God! <laughs> Glenn, are you coming to bed? Are you dirty?
dirty trading. Oh, I'll be long dear. Bitcoin. It's going to go to the moon. <laughs> Uh, do you talk to like this to your other clients? I mean, not that I am a client. I guess no, that's the key no, point here, no, isn't it? No, I'm not a client. No, this is, no, this is, yeah, I get uh, a CEO of, uh, you know, a sort of gold company on who I talk to exactly the same. <laughs> I'd love to hear that. Yeah. No, but that's why I enjoy having you on, Glenn, you know, a bit of banter. You know, yeah. Nearly 50. Banks. 50 Not nearly, fi- nowhere near 50. You are 50. I'm nowhere, nowhere, near. nowhere near. Are you between 45 and 50? No, I said I'm between 40 and 50. I didn't say between 45 and 50. You are between 40. You said that. You between, said that. You are between 45 and 50, though. No. Right, uh, Glenn Goodman. That's a cool Oh, shit. Oh, <laughs> sh- just stop it. <laughs> Leave me alone. Glenn Goodman is the author of the Crypto Trader, publishes others. Uh, rather you won't find anything. It doesn't say my age. Dan Goodman is forty-eight years of age. There we are. No, no, I'm not. I'm younger. Yeah, <laughs> I'm they, younger. Go, they go right. Harry, 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 uh, Harry Manhouse got it wrong. Then they never said that. You're, you're making it up. I'm not falling for your tricks. Yeah, yes. Glenn Goodman is fifty-three. Oh yeah. Uh, no. There we are. Spot on. Lovely. Right now, Glenn. Do this favour, get a system where you go to bed normal time and wake right. up at a normal hour and uh, have a wash. I usually do. Sorry, I just want to make clear, that was very unusual. I hardly ever stay open up that late. In fact, you know, probably once a year, if, if that. So there you go. 2008, yeah. right? How long ago was that? That was 13 years ago now, Justin. Okay, so that you left the job in the 30s. So 30s, there we are. So was, uh, no, I didn't leave my job in 2008. I left my job in 2012. So that's nine years ago. And you were 35 then? No, it didn't say that. It doesn't say I was 35. It says I was in my 30s. You were in 30. I can't say. You're like a little old lady. Like a little, like a little <laughs> old woman who's scared to say her age. <laughs> I'm like, Don't. I'm not that old. I've still got plenty of years. My mother-in-law won't say her age, and I take the piss out of her, and I'm like, and I, and I, I guff awe about her to my wife. I understand a lady. I understand a lady. It is sad. I no, but I understand a lady because uh, yeah. you know we do pit, we're more superficial when it was. It's a two-tiered system, and I feel sorry for. I don't feel sorry for, but, but I mean, you know, you got to have sympathy for people who are judging the looks, and mainly women are. You know, in this day and age, it's really sad that you will get. Elder guys on TV anchoring a TV show, and the sidekick is a lady who's twenty years the junior. You know, and that happens in America a lot. You've got to be young in America, and it's like, it's really bad, isn't it? I mean, it double is, standards. It it's getting better yeah. on British TV at least, but you're but, right. In America, there are still loads of news couples who are sort of uh, massive differences in age. But that's that's why. Um, you know, I think uh, women are protective over their age because they're judged on it a lot more. But as men, don't be so vain. You should, it should be your brains and your wisdom, Glenn. All right, I'm 47, okay? I knew that. Did you? <laughs> no, I didn't. Okay, uh, there we are. Oh, That's the end of the podcast. We, we got it. Until we spend a half an hour. This is half an hour we spend. Half an hour. Half an hour. And we got there in the end. Usually at the end, at the end of the yeah. podcast, at the end of the podcast, you're 47. You're right 50, right? I'm not telling you. Thanks, Glenn. Cheers for that. You're Speak 15. next week. <laughs> okay, it's time for the top five most followed companies on Vox Markets in the last 24 hours. They are at five. Conduit, Conduit Capital. I was having a problem saying that. Conduity. Conduit. 
Can't do it D. Yeah, with a T on the end. Anyway, the ticker is CCAP. It's a lot easier. Um, that's down 13% to 1.075. At 4, Tizian Life Sciences up 19% to 118.5. At 3, My Health Checked, non-mover, 4.3 pence. At 2, Echo Energy. Echo Energy. It's an old, old gag, that. Um, it's not even a gag, <laughs> to be honest. I'm giving it a bit too much praise there. Um, it's uh, up 36 or 37% to 1.04. And at 1, Shield Therapeutics up 9% to 38.15. Okay, top five most red RNSs are as follows. At 5, Bite the Play, Bite the Play, Revised Mine and Plan Investment Presentation, at Vast Resources. At 4, Greatland Gold, New License Applications at Ernest Giles Project. At 3, Tiziana, FDA follows formal lab treatment for new SPMS patient. Um, at 2, P2 study in moderate to severe COVID patients. 19. And at 1, Tiziana, Acoustim Update. So it's 3 Updates there from Tiziana in the top three. And that's why it's rising, I suspect. That's it for the podcast. Thanks for listening. Much as appreciate The Vox Markets Podcast with Justin Waite. Nothing in this podcast is intended as investment advice and the people in this podcast may hold positions in the stocks they talk about. Do not buy anything based solely on a tip or recommendation. Please do your own research.